Chapter Fourteen of the History of Burke and Hare, and of the Resurrectionist Times. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The History of Burke and Hare by George McGregor. Chapter Fourteen deft jamie trapped in hare's house the murder the body recognized on the dissecting table popular feeling the murder of so well-known a character as james wilson by burke and hare can only be regarded from their point of view as an act of the most egregious folly and like that of mary patterson it courted discovery so long as they confined their attention to tramps and others who were strangers in the city or to persons regarding whom there was no probability of much inquiry being made they were comparatively safe but now they were treading on absolutely dangerous ground it may have been as burke asserted in his confession that so far as he could remember he had never seen daft jamie before he met him in hare's house but that is in no wise probable during his residence of many years in edinburgh he must frequently have come across the poor half-witted lad who was known by sight to almost every resident of the city especially as the grass market was a favorite haunt of both of them but though burke might plead ignorance some of his accomplices could not for it was owing to their very acquaintance with jamie that he fell into their hands that they should have made such a supreme error is something more than remarkable on a day late in september or early in october eighteen twenty eight deaf jamie was wandering about the grass market asking all he knew if they had seen his mother what set him upon this tack it would be difficult to say his mother perhaps had been away from home and the poor lad had taken a sudden longing to see her or perhaps it was simply one of those strange vagaries that poor mortals like jamie occasionally take during his search he was met by mrs hare who asked him what he was about my mother he replied hey you seen her ony gate mrs hare was ready with her answer for she had quickly formed a plan yes she had seen his mother and if jamie went with her he would find her in her house in tanner's close jamie in all innocence and what could he expect followed the woman to log's lodgings where hare was himself sitting idle of course the visitor was welcomed in the most kindly fashion asked to sit down until his mother should appear and to keep him from wearying he was invited to partake of the contents of the whisky bottle jamie was chary about this for although he was fond of an occasional dram he had a great fear of getting foul at last he was induced to taste and he sat down on the edge of the bed with a cup containing some liquor in his hand in the meantime mrs hare went down to mr rymer's shop near at hand to purchase some provisions she there found burke standing at the counter talking to the shopkeeper and taking advantage of the opportunity 
she asked her old lodger to treat her to a dram this he did and while she was drinking it off she pressed his foot burke understood the signal as he said himself he knew immediately what he was wanted for and he went after her when he arrived at the house mrs hare told him he had come too late for the drink was all done but that defect was soon remedied by another supply being brought in jamie was again offered more whiskey and was prevailed upon to take it then they managed to get him into the little room where so many tragedies had been enacted the drink began to take jamie's weakly brain and he lay down on the bed in a half-dazed state hare crept beside him and the two men watched his every movement to see when it would be safe for them to attempt to carry out their diabolical design mrs hare meanwhile had been acting with her usual caution she knew it was not for her to stay in the house when business was being transacted so she went out carefully locking the door behind her and placing the key in an opening below the door the two men were eagerly watching their victim in the back room but they felt that this case would not be as easy as most of the others in which they had been engaged jamie was young and physically strong and he had not taken enough of their liquor to render him absolutely helpless even in the hands of two robust desperate men burke at last was tired of waiting and he furiously threw himself on the prostrate body of the sleeping lad jamie was no sooner touched than the natural instinct of self-preservation made him endeavor to defend himself he closed with his assailant and after a furious effort threw him off he was now standing on the floor ready for another onslaught burke's blood was up and he renewed the attack but jamie was likely to be more than a match for him hare in the meantime was standing aside idly watching the contest and it was only when burke threatened to put a knife in him that he roused himself and threw his strength in the scale against the man who was fighting for his life jamie had nearly overcome burke when hare entered the lists and tripped him up the poor lad fell heavily on the floor and before he had time to recover himself the two men were upon him hare as usual holding his mouth and nose and burke lying over his body keeping down his legs and arms still jamie struggled but to no advantage his murderers had him too securely beneath them and gradually his strength waned until at last the tragedy was completed burke and hare when they saw the end coming watched him anxiously for even yet they were afraid their prey might escape them but they had done their work too thoroughly they had not however come off unhurt it was reported at the time of the trial that during the struggle jamie bit burke so severely on the leg that if the laws of the country had not promised to hang him by the neck he would likely have died from the cankered wounds received in the conflict this was found not to be the case but there is no doubt that the two murderers received several painful bruises from the dying man when it was certain that daft jamie was dead hare searched his pockets and found in them the snuff-box and spoon 
that were about as well known as the simpleton himself to burke he gave the spoon retaining the box himself a box was libelled among the productions at the trial but burke in his confession says that the one in the possession of the authorities was not daft jamie's which had been thrown away but was his own before it was taken to surgeon square the body was stripped of its clothing and here another fatal blunder was made in all the other murders the clothes of the victims were destroyed to prevent detection but in this case burke gave daft jamie's clothes to his brother constantine's children who were then going about almost naked and it is said that a baker who had given the murdered lad a pair of trousers he wore at the time of his death recognized them on one of burke's nephews when stripped the body was put into hare's chest and in the course of the afternoon it was conveyed to dr knox's rooms when the sum of ten pounds was obtained for it no question seemed to have been asked as to how burke and hare became possessed of the body of daft jamie though there can be little doubt that the students recognized it the public then wondered at the matter and it may be wondered at still in a popular work published at the time there was this very pertinent sentence certainly those scientific individuals who attend the class in which he was dissected must be very hardened men when they saw jamie lying on the dissecting table for anatomy for they could not but know when they saw him that he had been murdered and not only that the report of his being a missing went through the whole town on the following day there could not be any one of them but must know him by sight that some of them did know him by sight is certain for shortly after he was missed the statement was commonly circulated that one of dr knox's students had affirmed that he saw jamie on the dissecting table mrs wilson and her friends went here and there looking for the poor lad but no trace could they find of him and there seemed to be a tendency to treat the statement of the body having been seen on a table in the rooms in surgeon square as a mere idle rumour arising out of the uneasiness and suspicion which the quiet and unknown operations of burke and hare were causing among the inhabitants of the country in general and edinburgh in particular a sense of insecurity had gone abroad and it was not dispelled until the final clearing up in the trial of burke and helen macdougall the mysterious fate of daft jamie as we have said took a most remarkable hold on the public mind it was the talk all over the country and when the mystery was solved the murder of the poor natural bulked larger than all the other crimes put together the hawkers and peddlers and patterers of the time carried about with them all over the country coarsely printed chapbooks containing accounts of the crimes of the greatest murderers of the age or biographies of daft jamie in which in some cases were added the efforts of sympathizing poetasters the poetry as a rule was inexorable but the feeling displayed in them was but a reflex of the public mind one aspiring genius spoke of the ruffian dogs the hellish pair the villain burke the meagre hare while another composed the following acrostic 
join with me friends whilst i bewail a while the subject of this tale many a mind has often been engaged with jamie's awkward mien such pranks will ne'er again be seen we may bewail but tis in vain it will not bring him back again lost he is now this thought imparts sad comfort to our wounded hearts o oh, may such crimes nowhere remain nor evermore our nation stain end of chapter fourteen recording by john brandon